You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, we're kicking her off. This is Land and Legacy Podcast um, with Adam Keith here. Matt Dye is here on the line. And uh, we're your hosts, and we're going to cover, well, let's just hop in and say that um, last week, for a lot of our listeners, they heard us talk about kind of the plans and and what we were going to be doing this week as far as who we were targeting, how we were going to go about it, and it doesn't always work this way, but it did on this one. Um, and we it rarely works that way. Let's be very clear: we're yeah. all hunters here. We all we all know trail cameras and plans and making a plan execute the way you would have hoped and dreamed um that rarely comes together that's what makes hunting fun i think but but it actually happened yeah (laughs) it actually happened this week no doubt happy to report yep um and uh, unbelievable like what all unfolded and i can't wait to unpack that in this week's podcast but um before we jump in we want to thank one of our partners who'll make this podcast happen on x hunt that's right. Adam, is there a day that goes by that you don't use Onyx? If if there is a day, it's a Sunday. Yeah. And but even then I find myself on that app or on my desktop looking at it for work or special interests and that I mean, huh, what other farm where because a farm in a neighborhood that nobody's leasing, blah, blah, something like that. I don't know, man. It's the most, I probably use it more than most apps on my phone. No, totally. And, and when it, it comes to most, work, it's a number one app. Yes, work, it is 100% number one app. It is used in the field, planning, ahead of time, post-work, post-consultation. Um, it is just an amazing tool. So if you're living under a rock, and you don't know about it, you don't have it, you need to check it out. Yeah, it's not just map. for Western hunters. It's not just for public land hunters, but private land hunters as well. And I, I can't wait to unpack because it's a new new partner of ours, um, even though we've used it for several years. Um, I can't wait to, to, to help people understand how we utilize the app because it's probably not like everybody else does. Exactly. We, we have special tools that we use within it and, you know, different – ways that we can categorize information and they're advancing more to help a land manager too. So we're going to, we're going to cover that in another podcast, the ways we can utilize it and help um, make our jobs way easier. That's right. All right. Um, we're jumping in La- last week. We talked about kind of the plans and strategies of goofy. 
Um, yeah. And we record. When did we record that? I don't remember. Did we record that on Saturday? It was like a it was Saturday or Sunday. It was night. when I was driving back, wasn't it? Yes, and, I believe uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. We. I was driving back, so that was Saturday night, and then um, we had this cool front come through. And uh, it, which doesn't even look like a, a cool front in comparison to the one that's going to be happening this week. Um, yeah. Because we'll get our first frost this week, which first first average frosts were, were a little bit later this year, thankfully. Yep. Yep. Gave the food plots plenty of time to really jump and go crazy. Um, and so we've got frost this week, cold temperatures, even saw Wednesday, it's like a chance of some stuff shifting over to um, snow or a wintry mix, which is just like whoa. And I'm gonna before we even do this, man, I gotta I gotta share this with everybody. Um, you remember? So we bought the farm last year, uh, Whistling Woodlands. We bought it. Well, I say last year, no. beginning of this year. We bought it in February, yeah. closed out, and it was a long process. We did an FSA loan, all that stuff. Well, during that process of under contract, they realized we needed a new survey. Well, the new survey meant um, we had to get it done ASAP. And the surveyor that I could get there quickly was, I don't know if you heard that or not. Let's silence that phone. Um, the The surveyor was done the first week of November. Yep. Oh, my. Yep. Uh, client success. I've had three or four client success. I know who you're. I know who you're going to mention. Mike Webster just killed no, in Ohio. Uh, uh-uh, not oh, even him. Different one. A man. Well, I in, saw that. A man in Oklahoma with a absolute slammer. Really? Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, which is pretty. I mean, it, it's been today. I, I'll share client success stories and we'll we'll get into the story but i think it all wraps up into like there's success to be had when you're doing true habitat management like we discussed so much but yeah um anyway and and i'm so distracted all the time but this time of year when it's just like constant ding ding and pictures are coming in um anyway so you're talking about the surveyor yeah <laughs> let's get back surveyor, surveyor he uh he was there the first week of November last year. Yeah. And yeah. not just a simple survey, like every Complete. 40, just, I mean, he was over almost every inch of that property surveying everything, uh, which yeah. I laugh because it's just like, that's the worst time anybody would ever say, let's, hey, deer season's bring here, him bring him in. How about the first week of November? Yeah. And then, so this week, um, we roll to uh, roll into the the biggest headache of all time for me when it comes to right in the middle of honey season. But fortunately, we were able to tag Goofy last week. But this week, they finally insurance everything came through, and I'm sitting in my mother in law's house for a week as we're dealing with old HVAC and water heater ripped out, flooring where a slight leak was done from mud daubers. Um, on the drain pipe of the air conditioner backing up water got on the subfloor. Now they got to rip the subfloor up, replace it, replace the flooring, which I will do replace a new HVAC and water heater and air unit outside. And it's like, when can we do that? Well, how about the first week of November? Um, so <laughs> fortunately we were able to tag goofy because if we hadn't, I would be one nervous man sitting here going back and forth from my mother-in-law's where we're staying temporarily and my home while it's the first week of November, which is my favorite month of our favorite week of the entire year to hunt. So, no doubt. oh, that one kind of hurts, but at least I'm tagged out for the time being. Yeah, I mean, you know, two years in a row of not being able to hunt cleanly or efficiently November one uh through the seventh is 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 kind of tough but truthfully what we're what we continue to see with not only ourselves but clients as well is when you're going through and doing habitat manipulation you can dabble in it and that's great and you can see successes but the more intense that you go to me the higher success and the more efficient hunting that you have 
I mean, one of the texts that, that you received today was you didn't, there wasn't a disclaimer that said, when you do this work, be prepared for two or three sets a year because you're tagging out pretty quick because that's the predictability of deer. We all like to hunt, but at the same time, Adam, you're like, there, there's two examples right there of just how life gets in the way sometimes of hunting. And, and obviously life and, and all those things are way more important, but it, it pays to be efficient at what it is you're doing. And to, to have that consistency, you have to have pretty dang good, clear habitat um, goals in mind and be able to execute them. And again, we see that time and time again, those people who maybe take a plan or they're just working a plan, their own plan intensively, they're successful and in and, and pretty short order too. And it, I love that. I, I love how it's not one person. This The other podcast this week is, is talking about how a gentleman was dabbling and then cranked up the dial on how intense he was working. Boom, three sets in, in Kentucky, he kills. It's a one buck state, but it's like, that's efficient. I mean, that that's really working a plan and being successful. I yeah. love it. No doubt. And then, of course, uh, the other text that came through today was a client that worked with early on in Ohio, southeast Ohio, smaller property, heavy invasive management, um, and doing a lot of old field and different stuff um, and killed a really nice eight-pointer. Pictures, you know, the first couple of pictures, I was like, oh, that's a decent buck. And then I got another angle, and I was like, whoa, that's a really nice deer. Yeah, the bases and, and everything turned. That deer changed quite a bit. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a bigger deer than what I thought. Very nicely done, sir. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, and, you know, it's just it's enjoyable this time of year to see a client who – there is, it is not ironic at all, but the clients who are having the most success or the listeners that have the most success are the ones who have been telling us about all the work they've been doing throughout the year, where it's like you turn up the dial on the work and the success is there. Yeah. And it. and then at the same time, you look at... um the workload decreasing after they turn up the dial. And it's like, that's why we do it. Like we get repetitive on this podcast because we may not be talking to you. If you think this is repetitive, we're talking to new listeners and new people who haven't heard this message before. It's going to be the same message five and 10 years from now with new stories, new strategies as far as where to do it and what's happened. But the overall message is the same. And I can't, we'll say it till we're blue in the face. There's a reason why we're doing it and telling you like this. It's not just because we're trying to blow smoke. Because there's success to be had. It works. It, it, it works. And that's the beauty of that. The system is, guess what? An oak tree 200 years ago is, is the same oak tree today. Like that, that species hasn't changed that much. So why are we going to manage it differently? The sumac that's growing next to it, the blackberry, whatever, it's all the same stuff. So it's not going to change in, in five or 10 years when that's your foundation. And that's the basis for the success that you're having. We're going to manage it the same, but, but overall we just have to realize that that is the base and that's the foundation. Sometimes that's the biggest leap. Um, for for some people to make and then just cranking it out and being aggressive land managers. But we're going to, I mean, that's the same old story, but it's a good song to sing because at the end of that song is success. And, yep. and I think honestly, it's a great segue into your hunt because where it ultimately took place is one of the most shocking changes on the entire property and, and how sweet of a return to have it go down there in, in a place that has had intense cutting. No doubt. I mean, yes. that thousands of trees per acre to scattered trees per acre, head fires up slopes yep. to, 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 to closing the chapter on a mature buck at 30 yards broadside. No after doubt. calling him in. I, I mean, it's just like, 
Yes, that's exactly what, like, we're passionate about it because we know the feeling, but we want that feeling not to just be felt by, you know, us or, or close friends. We don't, everyone who's listening, that is what is, is at your fingertips or your ability if you're a landowner and a hunter. You can have and share the same type of, of success. So, you know, your success, Adam, t- that we're talking about today, and then the the one on the other podcast this week, and the guys to follow, the clients that we review, they're all going to sing and say the same thing. Yeah. It no just doubt. pays off, and it works. So let's get into the hunt. That's, yeah. Man, this is juicy. Well, one. first, we so the, the, the story of this buck, we're not real sure – who he is as far as do we have a history with him a couple of years ago matt you were in a tree stand late season um and had a nice two to three year old come out that none of us had ever seen before and he had nice twos mediocre threes he was just a clean eight pointer um but he seemed to be up near the front of the farm, or that's at least where you saw him. Um, right. And then the next year, which would have been this past season, um, 2020, mm-hmm. um, we never saw that deer. And dad found my dad found sheds very close to our front gate where we pull into the farm. And right. we're not sure if those sheds were from... 2020 season or 2019 when you actually saw the deer um that's kind of i who knows who knows what 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 occurred there or who you know it's hard to look at the few photos or screen grabs we have from that hunt and then look at those sheds and be like yep that's the same deer or that yep that's those sheds are the ones that are on his head right there in that video we can't really tell um there's a there's a lot of times i feel like people try and and make a lot of claims from year to year that oh this is that deer this is that deer and there's might be some characteristics that are similar but but there's not really a hundred percent knowing what's just a clean eight pointer with a, you know a generic nice frame two and a half year old yeah. a couple years ago um to, to now say it's this deer at at four and a half five and a half whatever he is yes and especially and like, with the amount of character that this deer added yeah, to his antlers so, so. Totally. Is it possible? Is it plausible? Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I, I think it could be home ranges, some antler configurations, some aspects of them. Um, but there again, there's a course of a lot of changes that, that can and could happen. Um, but regardless, I think that's why it goes and back to emphasize the importance of just managing for age. Um, it's a great deer, a really cool and unique yeah. deer, whether it's the same deer or not. It's just yeah. awesome. And I looked jawbone. I don't know if I told you that, but I got in there and really worked that yeah. jawbone up and cleaned it up and um, looked at it, and it was four and a half. Okay, is what yeah. I'm, I'm aging it at. Like you might be able to say he's five and a half, but I just I look at it and I'm like, nope, four and a half. Yeah. Um, yep. And so for for comparing him to those other deer, the one that you saw, and then the 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 sheds he had added so much that's why he got the name goofy basically he had um just little flyers or four five six inch kicker kind of off his base um or off the base of his g3 um and so like when you when you look go up from the he had pretty good like almost five and a half or six inch G ones G twos were pretty good eight nine inches um, and then he had a kicker off his G two or a flyer which was about four or five inches and then his G three was split about four or five inches um, right and then he had a G four on his right side but he was a clean uh, a clean four point on the left side with a one little tiny kicker three quarters of an inch long um you can hear the the yawning as the h-back hole uh fiasco is is catching me um but this deer just a beautiful deer um and so we're not real sure who he is but he also had another point that broke off um right there in between his g2 and his 
the kicker on his G2. So it was actually three points coming off that G2, um, but one of them got broke off. And, and we know that, you know, you can see the wound. And I just thought, nah, he damaged it during Velvet. But Chad yeah. goes back and goes, no, I looked at text that I sent you guys, but he or sent to me, and he clearly had a third point there in that clump during the summer because if you go back in the podcast and you listen to the late summer or midsummer podcast, yeah. you'll know that we talked about diversifying your pastures and how our front pasture, front hayfield, had one of the it had the most regular deer patterns of all the fields because it had really good clover in the middle of the summer. And this was the buck that was coming out there in it. And uh, Chad had his eyes on him several times and saw that point. And now it's gone. So we know that he lost it probably sometime in velvet. Right. So Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And just an awesome deer. Um, you know, when you looked at this year, we said that um, our goal was, you know, we're wanting to harvest mature deer. But we want to do things a little differently. Um, we have a couple four-year-olds that really just didn't blow up from three to four like we thought they could. And we're like, you know, uh, they're they're really nice-looking deer. But it was like, ah. And then you look at this guy and you're like, he's got a bigger body. And he very well could blow up, but... He honestly, if the others are four, this one's five because he just had a bigger, beefier body than the others. Right. And by this one, I mean Goofy, the one we were after. And uh, we felt like he had, we had got on his core area um, this past couple of weeks as we noticed that the best food on the farm is one of our bottom fields that had soybeans, Stratton's. Uh, strategy beans and also the game changer beans and also had some greens growing up amongst it so the biggest concentration of food he was there at night and then right before dark a few times so we know he's likely betting close in many instances or many days he had betted close enough to be there right at dark or just before dark so which is i mean honestly sign yeah, it's a really good sign, and and that's not like the occasion on a on a bigger field to be able to kind of make these reference points and get them consistently coming back close to the bed or or entering and exiting that field. Um, just the whether it's the placement of the cameras, um, what was was let's say perfect because he's not the only one that's doing that, and it's this regular. So that goes to show to me cameras are super important right in in this whole story but but placing them and and having them in the in the right locations to pick up these patterns because this was one of the most patternable if you will i don't even like that term necessarily but patternable deer um that was it was like okay it's it's almost day and night that he's getting caught on camera moving up and down this slope why we got you, you got to go in there and do it and try them because no this hardly ever happens to have this type of consistency when there's usually lots of different food sources whether it be a mass production white oaks black oaks red oaks um in a given fall or it's just more numerous um food plots opposed to smaller bigger destination type food plot that was just holding and attracting a lot more deer. So there's yeah. a lot of things that went into that, but um, confidence wise, it was, it was pretty impressive to say, I feel like we're going to go in and when, when you do hunt them, you're probably going to lay eyes on them yeah. just because of the regularity that, that was there. Yeah. And you know, this podcast focuses so much on habitat management and habitat restoration that we noticed that it's no coincidence that one of the best food plots on the farm for deer activity is also one of the most unproductive looking food plots. Um, meaning there's not knee high uh, brassica leaves. It looks pretty yeah. stinking pitiful. And of course it's a little 10th acre food plot or quarter acre food plot. It's not big at all, but man, it's just, 
hardly anything's growing. And there's a lot of things to blame that on, but you can't dispute the fact that almost every day we're getting pictures of deer in the mornings and the evenings and throughout the night all around that plot, walking right through the middle of it. And, 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 and yeah, daylight of, of bucks from spikes all the way up to 140-inch deer um, yeah. daylighting through there. Yes. And you're like, man, okay, this is a really good food plot. And then you look at some of the surrounding area and are like, well, this has had the most aggressive edge feathering done. Yep. It's also had savannah restoration down the hill on the slope done. So there's a more cover along this and more quality habitat than almost anywhere on the farm and certainly in the neighborhood. So well, the it's... fact that we're getting, you know, 10 different bucks over the course of a week and a bunch of does moving through that one little bitty plot that's got really no attraction, you're going, hmm, what do they like about this spot? Yeah, well, and, and it just goes to show, too, when you are starting to have leaf drop and things change in that realm, that cover that is present from, you know, grasses that remain vertical, the shrub community, whether it be um, sumac, whether it be the hazelnut, whether it be uh, the spice bush that's in there, all those things are still either holding leaves, but then they're still upright. And so it's just amazing to see how much activity in, in a time where there could be tons of change or bucks are seeking does the consistency still remains through that site, which, again, provided that confidence to be able to go in there. Yes. And and, and so... And it wasn't a hunt over a food plot either. I think that's no. the important thing to, to almost emphasize. Like, one of, the, one of the things I almost feel we have to, to address is it's so, it is so <clears throat> easy to almost put too much emphasis on a trail camera location and I can be guilty of it myself. Um, but just because you're getting pictures of a deer in a consistent place, doesn't mean that's the best place to intercept them there. That means they're just walking there consistently. So where else can you connect the dots? And that essentially led us to, um, the tree stand location. No doubt. This particular when, when you look at the cameras, like pulling up on X, which we did a lot in this. Yeah pull up that, look at, okay, here's a camera that he's on, there's a camera on, here's where our, our, this is where we believe our instincts tell us that this deer is somewhere, hover the mouse over this region. I feel like that's the core area. Like, that's the home base. And, you know, I felt like where he was showing up in Old Orchard Food Plot was like, yep, that's right in the wheelhouse, but you have to have more westerly winds to hunt that. And I did it, and we got skunked. Literally, we saw two deer early and saw a skunk um, that kind of did this mock charge at us when we were walking out. So that was fun. Um, And then you look going, okay, well, I felt like the bottom field was too far away from bedding to where you might see him during daylight, but there's yeah. a very good chance we're not going to see him during daylight. So it's like, okay, backtrack. Let's let's move up. Let's get into the core area. And that led us to this woodland or savanna restoration area. And I say that like like they're the same thing. They're not. Savannas and woodlands are not the same thing. But in this area, there's pockets that are more woodland-like and there's pockets that are more savanna-like. And where we were <laughs> at that night, savanna-like because – Few trees scattered around going, this is the only tree we can hang both of us in the tree where it's not bending over like we're skinning cats here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was was a very open woodland to a fine-looking savanna. Yeah. And so the tree options, right, are very limited. And when you're working on a slope and a hillside, where deer aren't traveling, this thing I think a lot of people need to keep in mind when they're trying to pattern deer and make these connections between bedding to food, 
on a slope, there's particular portions of a slope that deer are going to consistently walk. It's, it's not just from top to bottom that they're, they're going on. Look for the benches, look for the, where the saddles are going to connect. But when you take that and you have to be that specific on a big, large slope, like we were hunting and there's few trees to be able to hang in, your options were pretty limited. So um, we did find a suitable tree, but it was that one or nothing. Yes. And you can't, you can't hunt off the ground because the vegetation it's, is so dense yeah. and it, it, from a good thing. Like, I mean, it's rich with diversity, biodiversity of grasses, shrubs, and forbs, but um, it just wasn't an option. And that was the only option from a tree standpoint. Yep. And once we picked that tree, in we went. And yeah. I think this is one thing where... Um, we, you know, each year is different. And I made the comment on that hunt is last year I didn't hunt out of a saddle. This year I've hunted out of a saddle more than I've hunted out of a tree stand. Yep. Um, I've hunted out of a saddle almost every hunt, I believe. And I, now I'm looking back going, did I ever hunt out of a stand? I think I've only hunted out of saddles this year. Um, and so, you know. It's the perfect tool to have in the bag. I mean, the perfect tool to have. No doubt. And and that's the selling point to to me is it has to be used in the right situation. Don't think that, yeah, we're telling you to go get a saddle and hunt out of it exclusively. But on this hunt, hanging hunts with a tree stand are over for me unless I absolutely have to do it. I would much rather hang a saddle and just be done with it because it's way easier. It's less weight. It's quicker. Just get in there, quieter, get in there and get in a saddle. And that's right. what we did on this hunt was, okay, um, you can look at all those camera locations that he's at. You can look at the food plots. You can look at the area we think he's bedding. And what's the closest thing there? Okay, there. And we got to do it on a saddle because that's going to be the quietest, quickest thing we can do. Yep. And so you and I, that but- afternoon, we packed it up and we actually uh, slipped in there and hung the saddles. And uh, we were in the tree stand pretty early that afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, 3.45, 4 o'clock, somewhere in there. Right. Gets dark, gets dark around 7. Um, some of you say may say we're late. We would also say we had a lot of stuff to do. So <laughs> we, uh, we jumped up in the tree. And I'm trying to think, Matt. The first deer we saw that afternoon, was that him? Yes. 5.30? At so, a glimpse, it was five thirty, almost on the dot. And he came off the hill. I don't know, one hundred fifty, one hundred seventy-five yards away. Yeah, I was. I was gonna put about two hundred, and and it was essentially just a glimpse of a yeah. deer, a flash of antler, a body, and it was a big body, sizable antlers, and for some reason, I just. I don't know. I just probably spoke too soon, but I was like, that's him. There he is. And I had no idea which deer it was, but just a gut feeling basically. Yeah. And uh, as, as soon as I feel like I saw him, he disappeared again. Yeah. Did you catch glimpses of him? At no, all? I never did. And, and this yeah. is one of those that when Matt says right up there, up the hill, I said, okay, we're at, I'm looking through the lane. And you said to the right of the lane. And I said, okay, what about the shrubby Oak? And you said to the right of that or right there by it. And we were talking about different lanes and different trees. And so I was looking totally different than where you were at, where you were seeing, and you were a little higher than I was. And um, I think that was just enough to change it to where we did not, I did not see the deer, but five 30, the first deer we saw was a mature buck moving in this cover, um, which I said, I think speaks volumes to the quality of the cover. Um, yeah. and why when guys say my bucks are nocturnal, no, they're just nocturnal on your place or in front of your cameras, but they're moving they feel, somewhere during daylight. Yeah. They don't feel comfortable in whatever habitat or lack of cover that is present on the place. That's right. But this one, this one was moving five thirty, and we caught that glimpse and it kind of was just, I mean, it was just an, it was just an observation of a decent deer. We did, I don't not that I didn't think anything of it, but it's like, I think he just went around the point and that might've been the last thing that we saw. And, um, who knows, maybe I got enough footage of them that we'll figure out later on on a big screen 
if it was this deer or if it was just a totally different buck. Had no idea. Yep. Yep. And so 5.30, we saw the deer, and and uh, off we go, um, hoping that he shows back up. Yeah. Um, and at that point, we knew it was a good deer. There was this really nice 10-pointer that we've been seeing a lot that's been frequently using the same area. And I think a little part of me was nervous that he was going to show. Um, <laughs> and the hard decision of, and, no, and no, no. We want to pass this deer, but Chad and I have said if he does everything perfectly, it'll be very hard. Good lighting right in front of the camera, it will be very hard yeah. to pass this deer. And yeah. uh, so anyway, uh, a little bit later, a little bit after 6, I think the first first deer was spotted um, in range or coming closer to within range. It was a doe. Um and she moved down and kind of hung out. And then here came some other deer in a very similar direction that this buck, the first buck we saw, um, came from. And they worked down the hill and kind of headed towards the bottoms. And lo and behold, they're, they're coming down. And, you know, the one interesting thing really sticks out to me about this, this area is deer were vanishing and then appearing out of nowhere. Um, like, okay, there's a, a a mature doe, an adult doe coming down the hill. How do I not hear her? How do I not see her? Well, because she's got tons of cover around her and she's not clanging on rocks as she's coming down the hill. Like she's just doing it. And and it was hard to really see him in and out of cover and browsing. So it wasn't like this steady pace where you just kind of watch continually watch deer. It's, they get behind a shrub, they get behind the grass, they get behind the blackberry. You'll see the tail flick, you feel the ear flick, they'll take four or five steps, stop again, start browsing. And so it's really cool just to see them doing that, but to pick them up like it's a closed canopy forest and just watch them move through, completely different situation. Yep. Um, it was very like natural, calm, this is what we do when there's lots of food and cover available. So it was cool. It was cool to observe that, see that, and for deer to respond just like you wished on a slope um, that had been managed for that purpose. 100%. And I think that was the big thing about this is watching the deer move when they feel comfortable. We've said this before and we'll say it again. A lot of times people don't even know what a comfortable deer moving looks like. And it can be very frustrating if you have ADHD like myself or you're like, why is she not moving? Why is he not coming? What's he doing? I think I asked you multiple times, like, where's she at? What's she doing? And you were like, she's still up there by the stump. Of course, I couldn't see her because of uh, tree limbs and stuff. But I'm just like, what is she standing still for so long? Like, what is going on? And it's then, almost painstaking, but yeah. at the same time, it's pleasing. Yes. <laughs> It's like, oh, this is exactly what we want to, them to do, except for today, and I want them to move quickly. Yeah, come on down slope. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, those does ended up moving down, and and they hop, hopped over in an access road, and, and we're going down that. And all of a sudden, you're like, Adam, there's another deer. And it was like, I could hear it in your voice, like, something's different about that deer. And well, you said, I think that's him. It was interesting because, like, that was a group of three deer, and we had seen that other fourth doe, and, and she was in between us and the group of three. Yeah. And all of a sudden, those three moved to the access road, and and then there was a fourth that kind of just appeared where the three were. Yeah. And I was like, but for that fourth doe to get to where that those three were, she would have had to cross wide open, and she didn't. So this was just a totally different deer. And it was a bigger body deer. So that's, that's why that excitement came through. There's another deer. And then it boom, put bios up just real quick. And sure enough, it was antlers. And you take one look at this. If you've looked at trail camera photos of this deer at all, or seen it on camera, you see the deer in person. You're like, Oh, there's no question. That's him. That's him. He's goofy. There he is. That's right. Trailing, trailing those does right in behind where they had just come. And it, then then the dots kind of started connecting from the point in which where we last saw him at 5:30 he simply had worked around the slope 
and pop right back into view. Yeah. But through this cover, he popped out at, what do you think, 75, 80 yards? Yeah, 75, 80 yards. And what I think probably happened was he came down the hill and ended up like bedding down just right there on that knoll out of yeah. view and was just hanging out. Who knows why he was doing it? I think my instincts say he probably was doing it to catch the does as they were filtering down, and he was going to check does and see if he could find a receptive one um, yep. before they made it down to the bottom field and as well as all the other bucks. But who knows why? But it was well, a think, good move it's... on his part because it was working to his advantage. Like He intercepted does shortly after they stood up in their beds and was, was checking them out. Well, and you could kind of tell that there was he was definitely trailing these these does because of the intensity, the search, almost like that search pattern behavior uh, that he was doing when you saw him first come out, or I guess the second time. And it's like, okay, he's been he heard these deer move down the slope and, and has come to check out and investigate and is interested in them because those ne- first couple moves was to follow the trail that dumped out those does too high on that access road and too high on the hill for any type of shot opportunity. That's right. But then that's when, that's when plan B comes out. Yeah. And as soon as we saw what he was doing, uh, I think you suggested it and I was grabbing it and we were like, this is a no brainer. And I grabbed the grunt call and gave it a few grunts and he immediately threw his head up and looked and I grunted again. And it was the one a really thing, good first response from that yeah, year. And I pointed it down the hill so it was like yeah. a buck was clearly, I think, like process what he thought was going on was he was trailing these does and another buck saw it and grunted to let him know he was in the area. And right. being a mature deer, he thought, well, I'll go meet him, check him out. And he came down the hill and was 44 yards and was offering a quarter and two shot. And I was at full draw and he stood there and it was like, nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. And uh, so as I asked you, when he got kind of behind the tree, I said, is it safe to let down now? I can't see him. He said, yes, I let down. He started walking more back towards the does, kind of, he took like one or two steps that way, I should say. And I immediately Mm -hmm. grunted at him again. And And, and I want to pause right there, which, because this, this to me was like the deciding factor. Obviously he had intent with those does to check them out, but he had locked in on our on our area it was quartering two, so no shot at that distance. But he wanted to figure out what was going on there. Yep. But when he couldn't hear anything coming through that brush, he didn't see anything because it was yeah thick enough. It would have been difficult for him to see down the slope in that in that manner. But you you had to let him almost try like make that decision after after he wasn't closing the distance at 44. You had to kind of like let him change his mindset again and then hit him again with it. So I guess in comparison, if you had, if you had grunted at him and he was standing there looking, he would have been a pinpoint that direction of the call that much better. So you almost had to like, let him lose a little bit of interest, take a few steps, hit him again, and then see what that response was. Um, and, And it, to me, that's, that's a biggest like, tip when you are trying to call out a deer and you yes. can see that behavior make sure you're not just giving your your location away and allowing them to pinpoint and realize if they're trying to walk if they're making noise they're going to hear that grunt if they're within a certain range but it's going to make them come to investigate that much more especially in an area that is dense cover at yeah. five and a half foot that's why that's super calling important. This was like a perfect scenario for calling because yeah. a lot of times calling in food plot edges don't doesn't work, especially if it's it's obviously a short food plot and then the timber right next to it's closed canopy or yeah, closed canopy with very little growing underneath. A deer can quickly see if there's really a deer over there or not. Um and then right. grunting or calling in open timber is also not something I choose to do because Deer can just, same reason, they can look 150 yards through the timber and be like, there's not a deer over there. That's weird. Nope, not going over there. But in this situation, in this restored savanna, and there's so much stuff growing underneath, it's like they almost have to, well, the the term we've used on here before, bird dog 
um, right. their way through to figure out who that is and uh, or what's going on over there. And that's what this deer did. And lo and behold, he hit that same that same road um, and tried to sneak in downwind of us, which was a bad idea because that's where we were able to capitalize and finally pull it all together because we grunted enough to 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 attract him down the hill. Then we didn't call when he was looking at us, so he couldn't pinpoint us. He just knew the general vicinity, and and you, the, you've got to keep them interested enough to keep investigating. Yeah, and when they keep investigating the scene, the scenario, that provides more shot opportunities, and and that's exactly what happened. It was provide the interest, let them do the investigating, and and that was ultimately what just let him straight down the access road and, and it's, it's like that that turkey hunt whenever you hear that distant gobble and you're like it's in that direction but i can't quite pinpoint i gotta get closer you're doing oh, yeah. it on a bigger scale um, that's what you're doing there and on a yep. smaller scale that's what he was doing with us was he was trying to pinpoint exactly where we were at and instead of once he gave up on trying to see us he started trying to resort more towards his nose winding that's right yeah that's but everything was working in our favor and you know he walked down and 30 yards shot him and when you watch that you know the footage is is beautiful matt did a great job on that but you'll notice the one comment that i get is i've had two knocks kick out they didn't even go through the deer they as soon as right. they hit impact the lighted knock flies out so everybody thinks i just like squared up bone i barely got any penetration but this deer was double lunged. Um, the arrow came out halfway down the blood trail, but he ran about I don't know eighty, less than a hundred yards, I'd say, maybe you know all downhill, maybe right out a yeah. hundred yards, but it was straight right. downhill into the creek and crash. And so we put our hands on him and uh, short, short blood trail, blood everywhere, like just a everything worked perfectly, um, and well, it, we couldn't I be happier. Totally. I mean, it, it was a, it was a beautiful late October hunt that you, you, you build the inventory of information early. You go in sparingly when you have that information, but then you like, you still think creatively on a stand set. Like for me today, I, I I'm going in to go hunt a location um, I hunted it this morning. It's very low intrusion, great winds to be able to hunt it on the next couple of days. But I'm, I'm going to hunt a saddle, like I'm going to go hunt in a tree stand saddle 40 yards away from a permanent set. Sounds kind of silly. It's like, well, why can't you make that work? I probably could, but just that little bit of change or thinking outside the box that, oh, I've got a stand set there. That's a good area. But that doesn't mean that's the perfect spot. And and similar here, there wasn't like this perfect spot and there was no stand set here. It was, okay, this is the wind we have. The deer's doing it. Conditions are good, but we don't have the right wind to hunt them up top. Let's think about this situation. Well, this is going to, this is, this has to work because um, this is what we have to work with. Get in there, remain open-minded and create creative um, in that stand location and, and, boom, there you go. They're going to use the quality habitat, and sometimes you just need to be right there with them. And it's the minor adjustments or it's bigger adjustments, but don't just say, I've got this win, can't hunt it. Man, there's usually some places that you might be able to backtrack that movement or come at it from a different angle that you might be able to open up a window and say, actually, I can hunt that. So that's the value, I think, of having a balance between permanent sets and then staying mobile on private land with a saddle. Like that's the flexibility that it affords you. And I think some people kind of get stuck in the ways of trail cameras here, stands over, over, over top of it. That's my own place to kill a deer. Ah, there, there's more to it than that. That's right. Gotta think creatively. Yeah. And I mean, and sometimes it could be totally random spots that you may never hunt again, but, in that situation, that's what it called for. <laughs> I think that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now when we go by that tree, it's like, I can't believe we pulled that off. But that's that's, right. that, that's what it was needed. And because this, we're in an interesting time at, at the farm right now because 
uh, it, things are getting logged. Like that hillside looks incredible, but the other side across the valley doesn't look as good because it hasn't been logged and TSI and burn uh, after the logging like the other one. Um, and so deer patterns will shift. There'll be new core areas because it'll be different deer, but also habitat is changing drastically. So, you know, we may never hunt that tree again, and that's fine. But at the same time, man, what an exciting night in the tree stand, utilizing areas that have been restored quality habitat and seeing the deer adapt to it and utilize it unlike the normal habitat that had occurred in that place in years past. So um, absolutely, I hope, you know, as we really, I mean, we're going to line up a lot of client success podcasts um, and hear their story and hear what they're seeing. And, you know, um, hopefully once again, it'll be another fall of encouraging landowners to do work, to do it, to not, it's not the time to do, to make excuses or, stick back to the same old grind of food plots and shed antlers and mineral and feeders and pouring f- food out on the ground and or, doing or that. Thinking, like, Or thinking or blaming your neighbor or, or thinking, oh, well, if I pick up that 40, that's going to solve the problems. Yeah. It's not what it's all about. It's about making the most of what it is you have at your disposal. And you can't do that if you're not managing the land and the habitat plant communities there. That's right. In the right. Yeah. So anyway, guys, hopefully you enjoyed it. And, uh, man, hopefully you're having some great success, uh, on your farm. And, um, if not, I guess you can tune in here and hear some, hear about some success. <laughs> that and, and go to YouTube because these videos will oh, be, yes. be dropping. Yes. Um, the, the footage from that hunt, I, I think, was awesome just watching that deer's behavior and reaction. So, you know, you'll be able to see that in the coming weeks um, be put together and dropped on the YouTube channel. So check yeah. that out as well as many other buck hunts um, from this season and past seasons will be coming to the channel. That's right, guys. Thanks again. We'll catch you next week. Yep. See ya. 